I, I love having a great time in church. I mean, I love laughing. I love singing real loud. Um, I love that we have a really stupid sports update thing. I, I, I love all that. But one of the most serious times that we have on any Sunday in any time of the year is the few times a year that we do what we're about to do, the Lord's Supper. It's as serious as it gets. We remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so this is a time where not a lot of joking, not a lot of talking, even while we observe and participate in the Lord's Supper here in a minute. Such a somber time and a grateful time and a time for us to, in our own hearts, repent, um, ask forgiveness, uh, remember, be sober-minded about this at hand. Paul wrote to the Corinthians. The Corinthians were a bunch of messed up people. We would elect the Corinthians. They did got a lot. Of, they got a lot of things wrong. They got a lot of theology wrong. They got a lot of practical living wrong. Paul had to constantly correct them. Matter of fact, Paul wrote two letters to them, pretty long letters that we have recorded for us in First Corinthians and Second Corinthians. One of the things they didn't get right was the Lord's Supper. They were having a party. They were not taking it seriously. And so he corrected them on a few things, and we're in that, that passage right now. But I only want to read a part that Paul said, uh, describe what it is. And, and, and let me say this. The Lord's Supper is similar to baptism in this sense. It's one of the observances, one of the two observances, one of the two ordinances God has given us, baptism and Lord's Supper. They're very similar in that they represent something. <clears throat> they represent Jesus. They represent what he did for us, specifically what he did for us on the cross. Um, he died for us in our place. We would have nothing without what he did for us. He rose from the dead. He was alive, and he is alive today. We baptize to identify with Jesus Christ and to remember what he did for us. We observe this Lord's Supper and drink the juice and eat the bread as it represents his body broken, the juice, his blood being shed for us. We remember what he did for us. Um, we will clarify this week, as we did last week, about what this is and isn't. It is a representation, it is an identification with Christ, it is symbolic of a decision that's already been made by those who are participating. Some have asked me over the years, obviously, and again last week, do you need to be baptized to go to heaven? Do you need to be baptized to be saved? Or this week, do you need to participate in the Lord's Supper to go to heaven? Let me answer very succinctly that no, you do not need to be baptized to go to heaven, nor do you need to participate in the Lord's Supper to go to heaven. But if you are a true follower of Jesus Christ, then you will obey him and be baptized, and you will obey him and observe the Lord's Supper. If you would say, well, I, I, I believe in Jesus, and it's my ticket to heaven, but to be baptized and to identify with him, I don't know. Here's what I would say to you. Check yourself, because the natural progression is that God sanctifies us. He sets us apart. We are a new creation in him, and so we grow in him. And all of that is obedience as far as observing the Lord's Supper, baptism, and so on. 
So this is what we do this morning. And this is what Paul instructed the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11, verse number 23. He said to them, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. We know this was the night that Judas betrayed him. He is standing in the room, in the upper room, observing this last dinner, his last supper with them. With the eleven, Judas had gone out to betray him. Judas will betray him in just a little bit that night. He will be tortured all night. He will be crucified in the morning. But on that night, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant, my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. We understand that when he says, this is my body, this is my blood, that is not a literal thing. We, as some religions would say, we don't eat this bread and it becomes the body of Christ. And you might say, ooh, I didn't, I didn't know that somebody believed that. Many do. But it doesn't become the body of Christ. It doesn't become the actual blood of Christ. Of course not. It is in the figurative sense. This represents what I did for you. Jesus often referred to himself in that kind of way. Jesus said, referring to eternal life, he said, I'm the way to eternal life. And he referred to himself as, I am the door. Well, we, of course, wouldn't be silly and say, I envision Jesus as a door. We would laugh at that. Of course, that's the same thought. I am the door. Of course, he is into everlasting life. Of course, he is the bread and, and, and he is the juice, the wine. That, that is him. This is his blood. This is his bread or his uh, body that it represents that was shed for us. And so this morning we understand that. Um, verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread, we have permission to observe this whenever we'd like to. Some churches every week, once a month, whatever. Often as you eat this bread and drink of the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we know he's coming back. We know he left. He's coming back for us. But until he comes back for us, we know that we always proclaim his death. We remember it when we baptize, when we observe the Lord's Supper, we are shouting out, our Savior died for us, and he is alive. And it is a proclamation over and over again. So this is a time that we are going to be solemn as we observe this. Um, we are going to be in a, in a, in a state of a, a thought of prayer before him. This is not a time for us to be talking to one another, even as spouses. And there, there's not rules. That's not what I'm saying. I just want you to observe the solemnity of the moment uh, as we observe the Lord's Supper. We take the, uh, the bread first. Paul said on that night when Jesus was betrayed, when he had given thanks, he broke it. He broke the bed, the, the, the bread up, gave it to the disciples. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray together. Lord, this is a, uh, a time when we remember how much you hurt for us on our behalf. 
you allowed yourself to be hurt that night, in fact, to be tortured, your body bruised and whipped by men that you had actually complete control over. But you went through that for us. Lord, it has been just about nearly 2,000 years ago. But Lord, we continue to obey what you said for us to do in this observance as we eat this bread to remember that night and that morning when you were hurt for us, when you died for us, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Paul went on to say, in the same way, also he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. We know this this is a remembrance of the blood that was shed for us. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray together. Lord, at this moment, we remember that night. I'm, I'm thinking through the Gospels, Lord, as we remember that there were men who slapped you and spit on you, blindfolded you, mocked you. And then as morning came, as you stood before Pilate, you allowed yourself to be whipped. Your blood was shed even then. You allowed yourself to take the Romans to take your body and nail it to a cross and your blood to be shed in our place for us, Lord. We remember that and we will forever be grateful and will forever thank you in the eternities of eternity, Lord. But for now, we're we're not there yet. We're here. And in this moment, as we gather together, we remember specifically your blood shed for us. For we remember, Lord, that your word says that without the shedding of blood, there's no removal of sin. So it had to be. And we thank you, Lord, for it. And we pray this in your name, Lord. Amen. I want to take a couple minutes before we before we leave to leave you with a thought on the Lord's Supper. I know we don't have a, t- a lot of time. We have just a couple minutes. And I know the main thought is always specifically remembering his death, his burial, and his resurrection. But in one of the verses we read, and I want to really kind of hone in on this for just a couple minutes. In verse number 26... <clears throat> Paul says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, which we just did, as often as you do that, we're proclaiming the Lord's death. And that's true. We remember it. We are, we are, we are shouting it out as we observe this. That's what we're saying. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
he is coming back. If he, if he wasn't going to come back for us, I don't know what the point of all this is. If he was just going to leave us here in our sin without him coming back, um, let's get out of here. What, what are we doing here? We remember this until he comes back. I want to read two passages of scriptures to you about him coming back, just so we have that in our mind. Because his return, his return and coming back has got to be that which just covers us all the time. Here's what I mean. We ought to live our lives in light of that. The decisions we make, the jobs we take, the places we move, the decisions we make with our family, and all, all of these things are in light of, in my mind, he's coming back. This is temporary. That's eternal. Always that needs to be just covering our thoughts all the time. I want to read two passages. One is in Revelation chapter 19. The reason I want to read this specifically is because it is a direct description of the day he comes back. And maybe there's just a part of me that just loves reading this over and over and over again. The book of Revelation talks about a future time, and I won't go into it other than to say this time is coming. All the things that are going to end time is at hand. All those events, it's next on God's calendar. All of that. The conclusion of that is when he actually shows up physically and comes back. This is the description of that day. John wrote about it when God gave him a vision of the future and gave us the book of revealing or the book of revelation. Revelation 19 verse number 11, John wrote in his vision, then I saw heaven opened, behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and in true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. On his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. By the way, <clears throat> not because he died on the cross for us. He, he has been glorified by, by now, by, by now and certainly then. His robe is dipped in blood because he comes back not only in deliverance, but in judgment against the enemy. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. We're reminded of John 1, in the beginning was the word. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword. Now we understand that not a literal sword comes out of his mouth. We understand it to be figurative. It's representing his power, the power of his voice, the power of his words. It reminds us of Genesis 1 when he said, let there be, and it was. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, and this is who he is. King of kings, and he is Lord of lords. He is coming back. Paul wrote about it to Titus, and I want to read a passage in Titus, Titus chapter 2, about his coming back. 
Paul said to young pastor Titus about the appearing of Christ and what it should mean for us. And I want to challenge us as well on this, on this thought. Titus 2, verse number 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Can I just tell you, Jesus died on the cross, listen to me, for everybody. Not for some and not others. God so loved all the world. Salvation has appeared to all. You can trust him or not. It is your choice, but it is offered to all. And what has it done? It is trained, is training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we are, verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope. We are waiting for our blessed hope. What is our blessed hope? The verse tells us right now, here's what our blessed hope is in one word, Jesus. That, that is our blessed hope. We are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In one word, it's Jesus. That, that is our blessed hope. Connected with that are lots of subcategories like we will be forever with the Lord. First Thessalonians 4. Like First Thessalonians 4, that we will be together forever in the Lord. Like First Corinthians 15, that when he comes, we will be changed. Changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we will be changed. It's not going to be like this forever. Thank God, right? We will be changed. First Thessalonians 4, there's going to be a resurrection of the dead. Those who have gone before us in Christ, we will see again. And not only we will see again, but we will be with them forever. So it is the blessed hope that it is Jesus, but all that is a part of that. And the challenge in verse 14, Jesus who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. A people that would mature in him. A people that would learn his word. A, a people that would be zealous for serving him and zealous for good works. Not just a people who have a ticket out of hell and a ticket to heaven, but that would truly be new creations in Christ and would be zealous for him. Do you remember a few weeks ago when I talked about us living in community together. We need to be around those who love Jesus and love and look forward to his appearing. I know there can be other friends in our life. I get it. I get it. I've got family who, who is lost, doesn't know the Lord. Okay? I don't reject them. Right? But those who are an influence in your life those who are your people, be around those who love the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, that iron would sharpen iron, and as we would be together, we would encourage one another and challenge one another. Help that be your people. It's, it's just the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ has to be just the sum of our lives as it hangs over us in such a wonderful way. I leave you with a couple of prayers. Peter said in Second Peter chapter 3 is he's talking about the coming of the Lord Jesus. He said that we should be waiting and hastening the coming 
of the day of God. That should be what our lives are about. Be around those people who look forward to the return of the Lord and, and, and consider it very important because it affects their lives. It changes my everything that he's coming back. And then John said at the end of his book of Revelation, he said three words, which is the cry of Maranatha. And this is it. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. 